a lot of talk relevant to today, um, which is pertinent. Uh, you hear a lot of people talking about worrying fear. It seems to be everywhere. It seems to be Bible study after Bible study about it. For a good reason. There's a lot of worrying fear. And the other day, just thinking about that, um, wondering there's a difference between the two. I wasn't sure what it is. <laughs> and uh, I think we can learn some things. Worry seems to be an unknown or perceived enemy of peace. So when we worry, we, we forfeit our peace. Obviously, it's a work of the flesh. It's not the spirit is peace. And sometimes I worry. It's kind of funny preparing for a study to worry about teaching about worrying because it's our nature. Uh, fear is a known and understood threat, and that seems to be an enemy of faith, um, both of things that we are to do and God forgives. And each they can have a common result, uh, stress. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Um, but the, the whole thing is, is who's in control. And sometimes when I think I have a plan and I have to make it come to pass, then it's my problem to make it come to pass instead of just giving everything over to God and not worrying about it. Who's in control? Who have I given control over to? What do I have to make happen or what is he going to do? And I think we can learn a lot about that So, um, or be reminded of that. If you turn with me, we'll just start in Proverbs 3, some well-known I have a journey that I'll explain where I'm going to. This is just a, a kickoff for it. Proverbs 3, verse 1, where I happen to be in my daily devotional right now. It says, My son, obviously Solomon, writing, Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and always acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It will be, strength, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones." Things that we know, forget not my law, and it will bring peace. If you flip over that same chapter to verse 19. And it says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. And when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. In verse 25, it says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And it almost seems like a contradiction of terms. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. Well, if it's not sudden terror, then I wouldn't be afraid. <laughs> Isn't that what causes us to fear? And I think the key, again, to stick to, to his word, right? It says, do not be afraid of sudden terror from the wicked when it comes. So why should we not have to be afraid of sudden terror from the wicked? For the Lord will be our confidence. Now it all comes to is where is the trouble coming from and who's in charge? And if the enemy brings terror, 
we know that God is greater. So our peace only comes from being close to God, even if there's terror and trouble. We don't have to worry, right? If we give our life to Christ, it all, it's all about him. It's his plan. It's his problem. I don't have to worry about it. What? My life is no longer my own, but the life I live, and I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. I don't, should I care if he sends me someplace I don't want to go, if he decides to take me at a young age, or worse, make me live to be an old age? Sometimes I just want to go home. <laughs> it's not our call. It's not our choice. It's not our problem. If he calls me to go do something, well, it's his responsibility to get it done. I don't have to figure out what to do. He just told us, don't be wise in your understanding. It, it's, all, it's all him. And when we get in the mix of that and try to take over, well, if I've made a plan, then I have to have the energy to make it come to pass. I have to have the resources. I have to do everything. And then that's where the worry and fear comes in. And uh, so just a, a backdrop. And obviously we know Psalm 73 about sometimes it seems evil prevails and the just seem to have it difficult, which is kind of where I'm going. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but it's kind of a, it's, it's a common popular verse for people saying, I, you know, I, I saw the wicked and it seemed like they were prospering and I almost fell. And then it says, you know, they had everything easy. There were no pangs in their death. They always had everything paid for. There were no problems. And he says, and, and, and I almost stumbled until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end. And, and part of that is, yes, I understand that. And the other part of that is, well, all he had was God and he, he was jealous of them who had everything but God. It's kind of a testimony on our own heart. What are we living for and what do we want? Um, and that brings me into tonight. I want to hopefully end up getting to Habakkuk, which uh, you can turn there. It's a person, a prophet. Uh, I believe he was a minister, a, a priest in, the, in Jerusalem in the temple involved with worship. We're not really sure who he was. Um, he ended up seeing things. It's basically a, a prayer and then praise for what happened. It could be one conversation. And um, I had been going through the Old Testament in my own time and um, been prison ministry for many years. And many people would ask questions saying, in, in, in essence, what they were saying is, why is God unjust? Because things didn't make sense to him. And they couldn't figure it out. And that's the walk that Habakkuk has. Some, he's going to be going through something, we're going to get into it, where this doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem fair. And there were many people that would come asking a question, I'm in jail for something I didn't do. And that's not right. And they're crying out. There seems to be no justice. And they were believers, I, I'm convinced. And I believe they didn't do it because they weren't saying they were guiltless. They were saying there's plenty of things I could have been arrested for. And they would give me a long list of things that they did. But I believe them. They said, this specific thing, I didn't do. Why would God allow me to get arrested for something that I didn't do? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Lord, what are you going to say to him? Because <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> and uh, eventually, I think he gave me uh, Habakkuk for an answer. Because ultimately, what they were claiming, they didn't do something. There's one gentleman, I think I've mentioned it here before, but it was a long time ago. Um, he was in prison ministry in down south, ended up traveling everywhere he wanted, he preached. And he told God, and he said, you take me to, I'll preach. Then he ends up getting to Rochester, um, and it had been a while, and he didn't go into the jails, and he wasn't really preaching. And he needed funds, and he started selling drugs. Sweet brother, nice guy. Um, 
by the time he came through, he was weeping at first, and he ended up like Joseph, the jail guard, would actually come in and take him out to fix problems. I mean, he had favor upon him. Um, but he ended up traveling with some people he wasn't supposed to be with and got pulled over, and they were in the process of selling drugs, and they searched the car and found a dead body in the trunk that he knew nothing about. And now he's in a lot of trouble. And he's, you know, God could have arrested me for selling drugs, and he didn't. Why is he choosing to? I'm like, first of all, I don't know, but that doesn't make God unjust. And they're like, I might get a lot of time now. And their basis of their complaint was, for selling drugs, you get this much time. For this crime, you get this much time. It's not fair. And God put it on my heart to ask him, so if, does God know what you did? What's the, what would God's penalty be for what you were doing? whatever time you get is still less of a punishment than what your sin deserves. Not necessarily comforting, but it's the truth of the matter. And then the next question, which I think comes out of Habakkuk that he posed to me, which we'll end up getting there, you're telling me what you got caught doing. If God is in control of your life, which you claim he is, you say that you didn't do this crime, you were doing this crime, where is what God would have you done in your whole picture? What were you doing? You, you claim that he has a call in your life for prison ministry. You're not in prison ministering. And he was sitting there saying this to everybody, and the only one in the room that didn't get it was him. He's like, God had called me to prison ministry, and now I'm going to jail. It's like, <laughs> okay, uh, I don't want to be rude, but <laughs> I think you're going to be in prison ministry. <laughs> So it's almost, it's a picture of grace. If that's where you're going to be called and that's where you're going to receive the reward and the blessings for, he put you there outside of your own will. He's taking care of it. And other people have said that they got caught and then later on they come back and they're like, you know what, this place I was hanging out at got shot up. If I, was, I wasn't here, I might have been dead. So there's things that we just can't know. And sometimes God can seem unjust and uh, so I ended up spending a lot of time uh, looking at this. And, they, and they'll sit there and they'll also say, when they're complaining, it usually goes something like, I was arrested for something I didn't do. And the evil people, who they would call the police, the district attorney, the judge, they're all lying. They're trying to benefit it. They just want a better record. Um, they're getting away with it. So it's bad enough that they're upset that God's doing this, but they're also upset because it seems like the people that he's using to put them away with are benefiting from it. And we're going to see that in Habakkuk, they don't get away with it. In fact, they're being tested also. So uh, injustices seem to be relevant. So, and also for us today, um, this book, looking into those, those things, what might God have for us? Um, I put down a list of things that you might have think I would have got out of the paper today. right? What might God have told us? So God tells Habakkuk something ahead of time to warn him and forewarn him and to prepare him. Um, and it was before it happened. What would God have told us two years ago if we thought and came to him and he was going to tell us to be prepared for violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering, people in the streets stealing, strife, contentions, injustices, people being treated unfairly, lawlessness, and perverse judgments, people getting away with things. And that is the headlines of our story. That is racial tension. That's everything that's going on right now. And that is the list I got right out of the first couple of verses of Habakkuk. The time then is very similar to the time 
now. So if we can see what God would tell Habakkuk through all this, and he struggles. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Um, he's just honest with him. It's, it's an awesome prayer. And we get invited into it, and we get to hear God's response. What is God telling him would be applicable for what God might be telling us in the days in which we live? And uh, to remember Proverbs 3, right? The first thing he says is don't forget his word and trust him. Well, how are we to live in this time and age? Don't forget God's word and trust him. And his word is here. He wrote it down for a reason. We have it with us. He wants us to study it. Everything that happened before was for our admonishment, right? So he doesn't just tell us things that happened in the past because it's history and he's got to get through some stuff to get to other stuff. He spends quite a bit more time in specific areas and not so much time in others because it's all how it relates to him and how we're to live, um, Paul tells us. So going through these prophets, I'm trying to sit there and study for Habakkuk um, back then and I'm looking and all these other people and the prophets and something I never realized before kind of struck me. So if you'll put up with me, um, I'll, I'm going to go through some dates here. So just about time. And again, sometimes God repeats himself and sometimes he says the same thing more than once. If you're a parent or if you're about to be a parent, sometimes you say no to your kids. Sometimes you say it five times in a row. No, 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 no. It's because it's an important and you want them to get it. Um, from According to the answers in Genesis, so I'm not a historian, but I stole stuff off the internet. Uh, from creation um, was about 4004 BC, if you go back chronologically using names. You can come to a conclusion in Genesis, 4004 BC, Genesis 1. The flood was approximately 2348 BC. That's 1,656 years later. Um, over 1,500 years takes us to Genesis 7. We're seven chapters into the book, and we're already through over 1,600 years. The, um, Abraham, 1,996 B.C., 2,008 years after creation. Right? So we know the Old Testament is about 4,000 years. You get to Genesis 12, and you're halfway through the, the timeline of the Old Testament already, which kind of surprised me. Moses, 1491 B.C., 2,500 years after um, creation. It takes us to the book Exodus. David was about 1,085 B.C., or over 2,900 years after creation. That gets us to 1 Samuel. And then 473 years after David, Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem in three different stages. So now we're into this time period. I skipped a bunch, obviously. 605 B.C., Daniel's taken. 597 B.C., there's the Jehoiachin Rebellion and um, Nebuchadnezzar coming to take 10,000 more people. And in 586 B.C., he destroys the city. So there's approximately 250 years um, prior to the first book of the prophets, right? Obadiah was in the mid-800s. So you have this whole time frame of chronological going through the Bible. Some things go by really fast. Then all of a sudden you get to Obadiah was probably the oldest or first written of the prophets. You have the major and minor prophets. And he starts writing, and that's recorded for us in, in, our, in our Bible. God had us have it set apart for us to spend time on it. And that predicts judgment and possession of Edom by Israel. Uh, right about the same time, mid-800s, Joel talks about the day of the Lord. 
Hosea, about 100 years later, talks about Israel being unfaithful, but God being faithful. And then around the same time, Isaiah comes, and it's like a miniature Bible, Old and New Testament, broken up into two, and it talks about judgment, and then it talks about hope. And then about 100 years later, so now we're to Jeremiah, 627 to 580 BC, and it was written during and after the fall, so he incumbates that whole time. And the contemporaries to Jeremiah were um, Zephaniah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk. So Habakkuk was alive during this time that Jeremiah was writing, so they would have had uh, all those writings. So they had the Word of God being written before them. They had prophets in the time. So we had from about Adam to Jesus, 4,000 years. The New Testament was written about 100-year time. Jesus to now is 2,000 years. There's 39 Old Testament books. Covers 4,004 years. Um, about 4,004 B.C. to 425 B.C., 3,700 years. A 400-year span, there's 17 books on. We just skipped through half the Old Testament and halfway through Genesis, and then he, sends, he has 17 books on this one 400-year period for us. Why? Well, there's a time that the Jews were going to be taken into exile. There's going to be judgment coming, and he prepared them for it, and he talked them through it, and there's things for us to learn out of that. Um, he, he wants to prepare us. He cares about us, and he warns us like a dad. He keeps telling us things over and over again. And uh, Habakkuk lived before uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and took it, and then he was alive when it happened. Somebody going into this judgment period. And that just makes me think about us. Is there a judgment coming? We're studying it Sunday mornings. There's something coming upon the world, and I'm thank God that we're not going to have to be taken into it, but we can be taken out from it. And if we're living in a time similar, we'd read the headlines, we're about to read it. It could be today's paper. The time in the world of which Habakkuk lived was similar to this, and he is sitting there saying, there's, there's, there's prophecies around. The prophecy has gone forth. The word of God was there. Now the question just is, is do we believe it? And if we believe it, what are we going to do about it? Right? Faith is you living out what you believe. And I think this is a book of faith. Um, so his, we're unsure exactly who Habakkuk was. It seems that he was a priest involved in temple worship. We get that from the very end of the book. Uh, his name means one who embraces or clings. Um, hopefully that would be a nice name to have on your white stone like God says about you. Right? I want to be one who embraces or clings to God. And uh, he starts out just asking God, what's up? What is going on? And uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, so he had a vision. He has this prophecy vision. And um, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So he starts out seeing problems. And he accuses God of not hearing. He accuses God of not saving. He's saying your law isn't working and you're not doing anything. What is going on? Why don't you care? Do you not care about me? 
And if you think God is not there and he's not caring, that would cause you to worry and to have fear. At least it should. If you think God doesn't care, you should be in fear. <laughs> if God doesn't care, then we're all doomed. And uh, just thinking about that, if you were living here and you were part of this racial injustice protest going on, you might have this exact same prayer. You can read this and say, the police aren't being fair. I'm not being treated fair. I'm not getting a job. Something's going wrong. Why aren't you doing anything? Or if you were of the side that you think that they're abusing it, or at least part of people are taking advantage of that, and their way that they're reacting is unworthy of what should be done, then you can have this exact same prayer. If you aren't in either camp and you just think the whole thing's a mess, you can have the same prayer. Something's not right. Everyone's complaining, something's not right. And it's not right because there's people in it. We mess up everything. But God, so there's, whenever people are in control, it's flawed. And uh, now the question is, is what, what should we do about it? Um, we don't know what Habakkuk's life was out in the street. We don't know how he talked to his friends. We don't know what was going on in temple worship. All we have is insight into how we prayed. And this is a good place to start, good place to finish, too. <laughs> Keep it between you and God. But if you see something that's not right, he goes, I see iniquity. Why would God allow you to see sin in somebody else? God's not gossiping. He's not talking about it behind their back. He's not expecting you to fix something. He might allow you to be part of it fixing. But the first thing you should do is take it to your prayer closet. Why, why are you showing me that? Right? It's the thing around here for the church forever. If you think you see something that's wrong, maybe God's going to use you to fix it. You know, the, man, these doors need painting. Here, grab a brush. <laughs> right? Pray about it. Um, but he shows them, and he goes right to the prayer closet, and he starts asking. And uh, I don't know, maybe you've prayed this prayer. If not, maybe you should be praying this prayer. What is going on? Where are you? Not, not accusing God of anything. But we're going to find his heart's right in this because um, he wants to get corrected. He wants to know. I, I understand something and I see something and they don't line up and it's been silent for a while. God's got his own timing. And he might be doing something in Habakkuk or he might just be waiting, but he's causing him to pray. And then we get to verse 5. God replies. So we don't know how long it had been. He's, he had Habakkuk had claimed that God wasn't doing anything and not responding to him. Well, first thing he says is, you're not talking to me. He's like, okay, I'll talk to you. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. So the first thing he says is, Habakkuk, I want you to look, I want you to watch, and I want you to be astounded. And then God says, I will do a work. I'm going to do it. I have been listening. I have been working. I have heard your prayer. I'm working behind the scenes. My answer didn't just come up into power yesterday. This has been a thing that I've been doing in the works for a long time. You just didn't see it. Kind of reminds me um, in the original Hebrew when they were walking into uh, the Red Sea and it said that the waters, or actually it was Joshua when the, um, the river got held up. It, was, it actually started a long time ago and it, by the time they started to go forward, that's when it stopped the, the water flowing. It's, he's been doing something about it. And then what does he ask him to do? Just believe. Believe me. This is the work, Jesus said, right? That you believe. 
and it sounds simple. I remember we had a, a, a meeting at the Eastman Theater, and we were inviting people in, and I was out in the streets trying to get people to come in to hear the gospel and get saved, and there was one gentleman who came up, and he said, hey, we were having a thing, come on in. There's like, oh, is it a Christian thing? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, what do I have to do? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? He goes, we we're, we're just want to tell you the good news. The good news, yeah, the gospel, yeah. Well, how many steps is it? Like, what do, what, what do I, I want to know, or I want to know what to do. He's like, you just got to believe. And he's like, well, that's too easy. That can't be it. And I was like, well, it's not that easy. You can't do it. <laughs> that's what I thought. Because pride, right? Just trust him. Believe me and trust him. And uh, it's hard. It's simple. The gospel's not confusing. It's simple. It's just hard. And then God will ask us questions. He should have asked, he could have asked Habakkuk questions. You're, I'm about to tell you something. You're already astonished. You don't think something's going on. Do you, do you believe I'm good? You can ask people in jail that when you ever get stuck. Like Pastor Jeff always used to say, don't give up what you don't know for what you do know. Do you believe God is good? It's a simple question. Well, usually, I believe that. I know he's good. I don't always walk like it. Is he good? Will he judge sin? Does God hate sin? He's to street evangelists all the time. Do you believe in God? Yeah. Well, then one verse, Jesus, right? Demons believe too, and they tremble. Just knowing he exists doesn't tell you any good. Do you believe he's good? Well, yeah. Do you believe he can save? Yeah, he could. I don't know if he will. Do you believe he hates sin? Okay, that's hard, because if they say yes, you're going to wonder, why do I sin? <laughs> that's what I think when God asks me that. Why do I do that? Because I love my sin, I guess. Why else would I do it? Do you believe there's a time of judgment coming? Is the rapture close? Do I believe that? We should. Do I believe it? I don't know. Is the book of Revelation literally going to be fulfilled? Is it close? Can we relate to Habakkuk? I don't know. Verse 6, I know it's true, and I know it's coming, but I don't know if we can relate that. For indeed, now he's going to give him, this is my answer. This is what I've been doing. Indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are also swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So God had heard. He had been preparing. He has a solution. He did care. He did something about it. And now we're going to find Habakkuk has another problem. I'm looking around at my people, Israel, Judah. They're sinning. They don't pay attention. They don't heed the word. Kind of like Moses, fed up with the people. And then God says, okay, I'll do something about it. So now God says, don't worry, I'm taking care of it. 
and he, we're going to find Habakkuk has more problem with the solution than he did the problem. He's like, wait a minute. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't know you were that upset, right? Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> You're going to do what? O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours, a person more righteous than he? And again, this is where I ended up coming into jail. They're like, why are you allowing DAs and judges and people that are lying for their own benefit to do something harsh to me? Well, God's done it in the past. But they're not going to be guiltless is where we're getting to. Why, 14, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? First of all, God didn't do it. God didn't make the, the Babylonians do this. He just allowed it in his, um, with his purpose in mind. And he's going, he's going to judge them for it, so he didn't want them to do it. He's going to give them correction for it. But they treat people like animals. They treat people like fish, right? And when you lose sight that there's a God, then what's wrong? Does a lion get in trouble for killing a deer? No, he's hungry. That's what they do. And now we teach people that we came from animals. We're just like animals. Talk to somebody that believes that there's no God. Ask them if there's something that's wrong. Think of something that you can do. You can find something that they think is wrong. They have no basis for why something's wrong. If there's no God, what's wrong? We were created in his image and in his likeness. So in, a, in us, we know that there's a right and a wrong. Where does that evolve from? Where does information come from? Who are you to say what's right and wrong? You can't, you can't condemn anything. These people get to a point where I'm in charge, I can do what I want, you're just things. And they treat people like things. They treat women like things. 15, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous. These things gave them stuff and their food plentiful. Just like, again, Psalm 73, they're gaining and it seems like they're having ease. 17, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? I will stand, and this is where we can see, I think Habakkuk was in a good place. I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch, because he had been given this vision, to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. I know I'm going to get corrected. I know I'm disagreeing with God. I know he's right and I'm wrong. I just don't get it. I'm going to talk to him. Well, I don't get it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to play church. I'm not going to play like I know what I'm doing. You already know what I don't know and then what I know. You're the one that chose to show me this. You're the one that's telling us that there's this rapture coming, that there's this judgment coming upon the whole earth, that all these people are going to get judged, that people need to get saved, that they can be saved out of it. Why would you do that? People are asking me questions. I got, they expect an answer. Are you going to give me one for them or not? Are you going to answer my questions or not? And I'm going to stand, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to wait. And uh, again, I think that's a good place to be. If you can't be corrected, then that's pride, right? We need to be able to be taught by God. We really can't figure out anything. We don't know anything. 
you can't know why you're here. Ultimately, that's the question that comes down that will get everybody, right? Why are you here? Well, for God's glory. Otherwise, for what? What's the point? Some people are sitting there and they people I work with, they think that there's no God. Then why does it matter what happens? Why does it matter how you treat people? You're worried about dying. You're going to die and go away to nothing. So what difference does it make when it happens? Life, life, it doesn't have any meaning at all. And they get upset about things. It's like, how can you get upset about something when there's no meaning? I get it because... I get upset, too, because I know there's meaning. Uh, and then it says in chapter 2, verse 2, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And he says something's coming, and people need to be prepared for it. Habakkuk is there, and it's going to come in his time. Judah, he's complaining that Judah needs to be reprimanded. We need to be corrected. We need to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And God says, oh, testing's coming. Judgment's coming. And then the Lord a lot of times when you tell somebody or mention Habakkuk, some will say, who? <laughs> Where's that in the Bible? I've got to go right to the beginning. Other times people will say, oh, yeah, that's all about judgment. Oh, that's God. He's coming. He's going to put his foot down. And, you know, that's right before he comes in. And it's this Old Testament God. Right? But who's, who is he testing? Habakkuk seems like he was doing well. He was alive during that time. He's being tested. Was God being mean to him? Was he being punished? What about Daniel? Daniel was alive at this time. How was Daniel doing spiritually, do you think? Was he being tested? Who's, who's the one being tested? A lot of the people were killed, taken away like, with people like hooks in their jaw, like fish. Many were doing bad, but some were doing good. Who's the one being tested? Who's the one being corrected? Right? He's being corrected by his understanding, but it's a good thing. Other people had to, they were going the wrong way and needed to be steered the right way. Right? So was Daniel being corrected? I don't think so. I think he was just being used. What about Nebuchadnezzar? He got corrected. Well, who is this trial for? It's for anyone. A, a situation comes... And God intends to minister to everybody through it. And you might be on any side of that. And you might say, this is, this is God correcting us. No, this is God judging us. No, this is God using us. So how, how am I doing in the trial is going to determine what happens. Anything can happen. It won't matter. God's in control. Why do we care what he wants to do? He's not going to let bad things happen. My flesh might find a lot of things uncomfortable. You know, well, if I was alive when Jesus, yeah, you want to be fed to lions? I don't know. I'd rather get raptured. Are we in a good time right now? Well, if we're going to get raptured, hopefully, and be taken out, well, we're going to have to live through stuff that we're going through now. What's, we shouldn't care. It shouldn't matter where we are physically in time or space. What matters is where are we spiritually during that time. And you can be used mightily by God. And you can know him well. And you can get corrected by him. Daniel got saved Right? Through obedience, he got saved from physically. He was thrown into a lion's den. Right? Was that because God was mad at him? Was he? No. There's people I know that 
I've talked to the RNGL, I'm convinced did nothing wrong, and they're being used while they're there. And they're like, why would that happen? Well, have you ever asked God, Lord, use me? Maybe that's what he chose to do. <laughs> you might not like it, right? <laughs> and that's what I tell some of them. I said, you think this is a difficult ministry? Well, it's worse. This or a hospital bed. I mean, so I've, I've been in a hospital bed and ministered to people once I had a surgery overnight and Oh, it was horrible. The guy next to me didn't have legs or arms, and he was groaning all night. And uh, I don't even want to think about it anymore. But he can use you. Just pray, talk, see what he wants to do. <clears throat> so who is being justly condemned and who won't? It's the person that allows God to do in them what he wants, and you're given over to him, and you just submit to him. Walk by faith. And... Uh, we know that God used Habakkuk during this time. We know he used Daniel during this time. And he used Nebuchadnezzar. He can use anybody. And he's willing to use anybody. Um, so heading back to verse 2, we're going to find out that he said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. This is another thing I hadn't realized. So I always thought that as you read through this, of course I haven't read through it that often. This isn't an overly popular book. I haven't heard a ton of Bible studies on Habakkuk. But... You, you, just through uh, Esther and other places, you see that people have decrees, they have writings, they have prophecies, and they post it, and they go out, and it gets spread, it gets told throughout. And uh, who was intended to read this? Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it, for the vision is, it's close, it's coming. And as you read through this, I always assumed, without paying that much attention to it, that he's writing about the woes of Judah, judgment's coming. But after reading it and looking confused and getting in the commentaries, he's actually writing about the Babylonians. I believe this is about Nebuchadnezzar, which I think is kind of odd, because he's actually writing something and posting it about condemning these people before they do what he's condemning them for. And uh, I just... It's almost like, and who's reading it? I mean, they will end up reading it, but the Jews that are there are reading it. It's almost like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, don't worry about it. The guy that's going to kill your wife's husband, I'm going to get him. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm my wife's husband. <laughs> it's like, he's like, the people that are going to come in and are going to punish you, I'm, God says, I'm going to get him. Don't worry about it. They're going to do what? <laughs> You're going to punish them for doing what? What are they going to do to us? And we can read through it. Uh, go to verse 4 again. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. He does not stay at home. He didn't stay in his country or the land or the place that God gave him to. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied, he gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples, Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and of the city and all who dwell in it, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house. 
cutting off many peoples and sin against your, your own soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed and who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The, Lord, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its molds should trust in it, to, to, to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. A good summary. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And uh, we read, they're going to worship idols, and they don't worship them because they think that they're good. You don't worship wood because you think it looks heavenly. You worship wood because it's not going to tell you that you're doing wrong and it's going to let you do what you want. I'm going to make what I want because I'm going to make a God that, that appeases me. I'm going to use my own intellect and my own understanding, and I'm going to use my own reason. That doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to heap up for myself teachers because I have itching ears. And... Through all of that, we see that he says, I'm going to punish them. They're coming. Their heart's wrong. And we do see that they do get corrected eventually. Um, they were a tool used in God's hand. It's um, what, what we call providence, right? God can do natural, uh, supernatural, take care of supernatural things in a natural way. So God's going to punish his people by using the Babylonians. Then he's going to punish the Babylonians because they did what he, what he, they accomplished his will, but they did it with a wrong heart. Where he tells us that in Kings too, that he all these times these people wanted to come in the enemies, but he withheld them. Then he let them do it. The only reason they didn't come in is because God had a shield around them. He, he uh, protected them. Then he used these people to correct them, and then he punished the people because their heart was wrong in it. He does the same thing with Satan, right? Satan's on a leash. He's a tool. Um, he's he's going to be dealt with. And then through all of this, Habakkuk who was fed up with his people, who then got scared for himself and his people. And then God came, and he realized that he, this isn't how I would have fixed it, because I'm kind of freaked out, but it's going to work, and it's what you want to do. So now it's just about me submitting to your plan. And um, we get to chapter 3, and it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. I guess I'll have to have Pastor Rob explain what Shigianoth is. It's, uh, it's unknown. It's used twice in the Bible. It's in the title to Psalm 7. Um, they don't know. It might mean a meditation or a song. So I, we believe that um, 
through this prophecy. And again, the whole thing is Habakkuk prayed, God answered him. Habakkuk questioned, God answered him. I mean, this could have been a half an hour in your prayer closet. Right? It could be tonight. It could be next week, sitting in your morning, and God shows you something. And it's a small book, but it's, it's profound. It has a lot to do with things. It, six words of this, which we're about to get into and spend the rest of the time in, changed the whole New Testament, or foundational in the whole New Testament. Smote the Apostle Paul, I believe, as he was reading it. Judgment's coming. How, what do I do? First of all, do something. He says, I'm going to do something. Okay, well, then what would you have me to do? What should my response in this time be? And uh, after hearing that God did something, uh, he wrote a song, right? And, and a lot of it was just about how God's been faithful. Read verse 2. He says, Oh, Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. That's a little scary. We read Revelation. That's a little scary, right? What's coming is a little scary. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. First he's saying they deserve something, give it to him. Now he's saying they deserve something, please withhold it from them. <laughs> now I've seen you and I know what you're like and I realize what sin looks like to you and I realize that you're doing something about it. And he changed Habakkuk through this prayer. God, verse 3, God came to Tim, from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills, you think, you think COVID's something to be afraid of. <laughs> God looks and the mountains ran. He looked and startled the nations. The everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows, Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck, Selah. You thrust through with his own arrow, arrows the head of the, his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. That I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, 
and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And then it says, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. That kind of leads that he might be a priest in the temple worship. He went from saying, God, you're not doing anything, to I'm going to be praising you forever because you're so good. And all it takes is a word, a word from God. And in the meantime, we have to live through this. He had to live through this. And just six words, right? Well, in the beginning, chapter 2, verse 4, he tells him, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. He goes, But the just shall live by faith, or by his faith. In the New Testament, it says, The just shall live by faith. A proud man takes control, does what he wants, does what he thinks is best, thinks he's got everything covered. But the just shall live by faith. The good news is that there's just. You can be justified. Who's justified? Right? We're going to turn there in a second to Romans. Paul talks about this whole doctrine of justification. It's a foundational in the book of Romans. Paul obviously had to have read this. He quotes it. The just. The good news is that in this time where God is judging and using people and there seems to be condemnation, he says, I'm looking down and there's just. And just as Pastor Kevin taught, it says they shall live. It doesn't only say that you can live. He says they shall live. They will, they will live. So you can just stop there. The just shall live. That's good news. If you're justified, you're going to live. God wants to give life. It doesn't matter what's happening here. He is life, and he's going he's gonna to save, right? The just shall live. And then by faith, so uh, the rest of the time here, if you'd flip to Romans 1, we read that same verse. Uh, time. We'll start in verse 8. I'm going to read fast because I have a lot to read still. Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not you to be, want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but I was hindered. That is, I might have some first fruits among you, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor to both Greek and barbarians, to wise and unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. There is good news. I want you to believe it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You just have to believe. For the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in believing the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not the righteousness of you or what you do. It's about his righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Just, the faith comes, he's referring back to the quoting Habakkuk, 18, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they were without excuse. God expected the people in the time prior to Habakkuk to know that he rules and that they can have righteousness. He showed it to them, and he, he, and he expected them to live by it. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And we see that people are guilty before him. There is a judgment coming. Therefore, 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of, in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, where is boasting then? It is excluded. No pride. But what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So we see there the just. You can be justified. You must be justified if you want to be saved. How do you set apart yourself in this time, just as they did in the days of Habakkuk? How do we live? It says the just. You must be justified to even begin. Right? We're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit unless you have the Spirit. It says also in Romans that if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. You can't play church. You need to be the church. And it has to be something that happens to you. Um, but He doesn't just want us to be justified. He wants us to live. The just shall live. Uh, Galatians seems to be set up on that premise also. In Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. That tells you that you cannot be justified by the law. You must be justified and live by faith. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And time forbids me to read, you can read chapter 5, which also goes along into our liberty and how we are to live, and it talks about living in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and the works of the flesh are all sin, and the works of the Spirit is love. Love fulfills the law. How are we to live? We're to live by faith in him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We live in the Spirit. The just shall live in the Spirit by faith. And uh, we'll end in Hebrews 10. Possibly Paul, we don't know who wrote it. Um, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 30. Again, we are going to, the just shall live um, by faith. So we have a definition in Romans about what it means to be justified. We have a definition in Galatians of what it means to live. And life is in the spirit. And now we have this thing, um, what is faith? Again, how are we to live in these days? This is set for us. 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Right? We read about that in Habakkuk. We read about that. We see it in our lives personally. 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, so it's not strange that that happens to us, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plunderings of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. You're looking forward to something. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He is coming back. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 11.2, again, the just shall live by faith. What is faith? For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Three, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, 
dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child, and when she was past age, because she judged him faithful, which who had promised, therefore from one man and as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And we know that God has prepared a place for us, and we need to be looking up, and that needs to be our goal. And how do we live through this time just as Habakkuk did by what God told him to do. Be justified, live your life, and live a life of faith. And Father, we, that's the cry of our heart. We don't always, I don't always live as if that's true. I just pray, um, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. Lord, encourage us to bring glory to your name that we might be uh, co um, inheritors, Lord, with Jesus, because you promised it, Lord. We don't deserve it. Um, we just want to believe you, Lord. You are our living hope. You're the reason um, that we're here, and we want to honor you. And uh, just pray that your word would, would take hold and uh, these things wouldn't shake us, Lord, that we wouldn't be drawn away or tripped up um, or unbelieving, Lord, but that you would continue to guide and direct in your word and we just thank you that you care. We thank you that you have answered. We thank you that you did do something. We thank you that you did the, the most important thing 2,000 years ago. Lord, uh, you made a way. Lord, there might only be one way, but there is a way. You know, help us to enter in. And we just thank you and love you and praise you for how good you are and what you have for us. Uh, help us to be looking ahead and, and not behind or not even in front of us, Lord, but to be looking up. In Jesus' name, amen.